With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Kane's Country Podcast is back, and we're here to talk about the worst team in the league, the Carolina Hurricanes, losers of infinite games in a row. Uh, my name is Brett Finger, joined by Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankel. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Vibin. Vibin. Okay. So let's just talk about vibes real quick. Speaking of, good segue. The Hurricanes lost three straight to the Tampa Bay Lightning after beating them four to nothing to start last week. So this is interesting. They they start the week with a four nothing win at home after they beat Chicago on the road. They came home, or no, they beat Chicago at home and then they stayed at home to play Tampa Bay. Four nothing win to start out. Maybe their best game of the year. One of their most complete games of the season for sure. And they earned a win. Next night, lost 4-2 in a game that was pretty much a toss-up. It could have gone either way. I think Carolina probably got outplayed by just a little bit in that game, though, for in terms of a 60-minute game. And then the series switched to Tampa, where they played two games. The first game was not a good game. The Hurricanes lost 3 to nothing, and we'll talk about it in a second, but I thought maybe their worst game of the season. It's up there. And the final game, they lost 3-1. to Last night, Thursday, we're recording this on Friday. You'll hear this on Friday. And they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. So, Andrew, let's start with you. Thoughts on three straight losses? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. You know, you're kind of talking about what are the vibes. It's, I think it's very different. If it, There was almost, it seemed like to me, a sense after that Tampa Bay game that the Hurricanes won so convincingly. And they were 12-3-1. They had not lost back-to-back games this season. That There was almost a sense, I think, from some that they were just going to cakewalk through this season. Everything was going to be great, you know, all the time. And I just don't think that was ever going to happen. I mean, I think in any given season, an NHL team is going to lose three in a row. It, it's just going to happen. You're going to hit a slump. It's magnified in a short season with... Um, every game being in the division, but you know, I don't think there's anything, you know, we can go into what, what went into the losses and certainly there are some things that they need to clean up sooner than later. But I don't think, especially when you're playing that many games in a row against a team as good as, and you had one like this, the fourth one really where you played well and could have won. I don't think there's any reason to panic. I think slumps like this are they're just gonna happen to any team, and I I think the Hurricanes will be fine. Yeah, I think it's one thing to say like like a team is in a slump, but like for this Carolina team, it's like I feel like it's almost not as fair because they've been playing well and losing a few of these games, like especially the one last night. The Canes were the better team through the sixty minutes of hockey, and it just really came down to goaltending. As Kirk Laney made the saves he needed to, and James Reimer let in you know two softies, but I feel like. Overall, like the Canes haven't looked bad. I think the the first two games they lost, they the first periods were bad. And then after that, they tightened up and like made it a little more interesting. Not really game three as much, but the second game, they really kind of stormed back after a really bad first period. 
And it was really one of those things where, like, a lot of these games, the series could have easily been split. You know, Canes could have even been, you know, 3-1 in the series if, like, a certain bounce goes here and there. And I think that's really what it comes down to. It's, you know, the Canes are in a slump, and, you know, you're losing three in a row is adversity, and you like to build adversity earlier rather than later. But the, this Canes team is, you know, I think they've played well enough against, you know, a team as good as Dampo to prove that, you know, they're, if not in the exact same caliber, like barely a step below, if not just still right in the same level. Throwing out the one game, that was very bad. The the 3 nothing loss was very uh, not ideal, and they deserved to lose the way that they did. But they also got shut out. They deserved to win the last game. It was a McElhaney redemption game. We've seen we've seen those games in Carolina before. I think the moneypuck.com like deserved to win meter or whatever it's called. It was like eighty six percent for Carolina. The expected goals there were like four to one and a half or something. Like it was pretty clearly a game that Carolina should have won. If they had gotten some bounces on the power play, then I think they would have won that game. But obviously it didn't didn't work out that way. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's too much to be upset about. I, I think what's interesting is I saw some more, I think I saw more outrage over the three, one loss than I did after the three, nothing loss. And I think I kind of get it because it was a game. The hurricanes deserved to win and they didn't win. And that one hurts more, but the, the three, nothing loss is way worse than the three, one loss. And I, I think Brendan Moore said after the game, he said that, that he's not going to be upset about how they played because they deserve to win. Uh, it was pretty obvious from, from the outset. Uh, Warren Fogle had a chance, or not Warren Fogle, Steven Lorenz had a chance on the goal line that somehow didn't go in. I have no idea how that he, had, how he did not score his first NHL goal. And then Jordan Stahl had like a power move chance in front of the net on, it might have been a power play in the first period. And, I think on Money Puck it said it had a 76% chance of being a goal and it didn't go in. So yeah, it was just a bunch of that stuff. And you know, when when they when you only score three goals in three games against the Lightning, you're going to lose all three games most likely. And that's what happened. And do they deserve to only score three goals? No, I don't think so. But it was, you know, it was an example of their their top guys not really coming through for them. Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Svechnikov were guys in those games where you kind of look to as like difference makers and they weren't. And uh, it will be interesting because we're going to talk about them again in a little bit, but they're going to need more from them. Um, is officiating a problem in the NHL, do you think? Has anyone said this? It's just so inconsistent. I mean, like last night you look at Brock McGinn – on the at the that the penalty that gave them a four on four at the end of one of the lightning power plays i don't know how that wasn't a penalty shot i mean he was in the clear it was much more of should have been a penalty shot than the one that we saw called for columbus um there was a couple other i think toward the end of the period jordan's the hurricanes were on a power play jordan stall got cross-checked in the slot that wasn't called uh, lightning player kicked a broken stick toward a Hurricanes player. That wasn't called. And then a weak interference on Lorenz gets called. So, yeah, I mean, I just think there needs to be more. There's just really 
for me, there's just no consistency. And like last night, I think there were 11 total penalties called, and all the bad calls weren't against the Hurricanes. I mean, they were calling ticky-tacky stuff on both on both sides, but I just, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's it's tough right now. I think especially when you're calling like ticky tack stuff, like Stahl's phantom high stick, Lorenz's interference on a, just a body check on the player who was carrying the puck. I mean, like, and I think it makes the other stuff that they let go such much more egregious. Tampa, like the cross check on Stahl and the kicking of the stick towards the puck carry. I'm like, those are like, those should be automatic type things. Like weaponizing the stick at any point should be an automatic type call, in my opinion. You know, cross checks are such a dangerous part of the game that aren't called enough. And Tampa lays a lot of cross checks in these in this series. But um, I mean, I think officiating is always just kind of like an issue. It's but it's like almost a non-factor. I feel like today, especially this year, for some reason, it seems the officials are really calling games split. Like it was five power play chances to five power play chances last night. I feel like Referees keep constantly giving it split decisions, even if it necessarily shouldn't be a split decision. I feel like some teams can get away with being more aggressive because, like, I feel like refs are looking to kind of even it out a lot of the times, which I feel like is kind of an issue, to be honest. Yeah, it is. I think it's definitely an issue that they're kind of looking to make it even. And it, it feels like it should just be call what you see. And if one team has more penalties than the other, then that's the team's problem. That's not your problem. That's nobody's problem except yeah. for the team that's committing the penalties. Uh, they shouldn't be looking for makeup calls constantly. So, yeah, it's very frustrating at times. But, you know, both teams are playing under the same officiating, even though, in fairness, it does seem like sometimes Carolina is getting the raw end of the deal on these things. I guess that's just kind of the nature of the league at this point. And, you know, there was that play in the third period where Mikhail Sergachev cross-checked Andrei Sveshnikov into the boards, and it was so clearly a penalty that both Sergachev and Sveshnikov were looking at the ref and not playing the puck that was right next to them because they, they knew it was a penalty, and then it wasn't called, and Sveshnikov got upset, rightfully so, and Sergachev was just like, okay, now I'll skate away. <laughs> so it, it's it's tough to kind of watch that stuff though at the same time if the hurricanes get that power play they're not going to score on it so <laughs> yeah the the power play just has to be better i mean they had chances like they were hitting posts they were getting close but they should have scored a goal and they should have scored they should have scored a goal but it you've got to like you can't just have one power play kind of click and you get close and have like three others just be like totally thwarted can't even get in the zone that's just yeah. that's just poor play I think the Hurricanes had more scoring chances shorthanded against Tampa Bay's power play than they had on their own power plays in that game. Uh, that's a positive we can take away. The Carolina's penalty kill was really good. Was yeah, very, that was very they outchance. Yeah, they outchance Tampa Bay's power play. The, the Hurricanes penalty kill outchance them. Which is funny because it's like sometimes you see those things and it's like you look at it. Oh yeah, I think definitely they had more chances shorthanded than the late. Like they actually did. No, yeah, like statistics, like that's a fact, yeah. Jack. <laughs> My name's Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. I thought your name was Jack. That's a fact, it's Andrew. It's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't work as well. And, you know, whatever. It happens. You've heard that. You, y'all have heard that saying. It, that's a fact, Jack, yes, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, I was okay. just messing yeah. around. Okay. That's a fact, Andrew. That's a fact. All right. 
That's better. That's actually better. That should be the saying. That's a that fact, works, Drew yeah. Andrew. <laughs> wow. Anyway, how good are the Hurricanes right now? We're they're twelve six and one, which means they're nineteen games into the season. <laughs> it would have been funnier if I got that wrong, uh, but they are nineteen games into the season. I got it wrong in my head on the first attempt. I kept. I, here's here's how dumb I am. I I was a for like a second. I was like, oh, that's twenty one. Yeah, yeah, twelve six one. That's twenty one games, right? I will tell you what I was gonna say. What's ten plus nine, Brett? Donnyone? I think I think you're in the right. Yeah. Maybe I've watched too many uh, Vine compilations that'll make Vine compilations go away instantly. Yeah. You know what was funny? One of my favorite tweets from this week that I saw was Bobby Schmurda is going to get out of jail and he's going to try to log into his uh, Vine account. Because <laughs> the last time he was out, Vine was like popping. He was a huge Kaniac. <laughs> that's going to be the next one. That's that's another highlight from Twitter this week, the threat of huge Kaniacs. Before we move on, do 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 you guys have a personal favorite? Uh, didn't he say that whatever they did that storm surge? Didn't he say that Gloria Estefan was a huge caniac? Mm-hmm. That was that was that's that's up there for me. I remember when Trip Tracy first came back to Twitter, and it was Canes had a game in Philadelphia, and it's just him walking by, you know, Liberty Hall, and there's a statue, and he's statue, and he's like Benjamin Franklin, huge caniac, never misses a game up above. <laughs> I'm just dying laughing. It's just that was my favorite one. Ben Franklin, huge kick. He is. Uh, the moon is a good one. Uh, he said the moon never misses a game. I think my favorite might be Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick, who on oh, yeah on Whalers Night last season, Trip said that Herman Melville is a huge caniac, and he became a became a caniac from up above after he had died, uh, and he died in the late eighteen hundreds. And that we have he, a lot of post mortem caniacs. He became a yes, he became a caniac from up above, looking down on the hurricanes and watching them play. And he also said he would love the way that Nino Niederreiter plays hockey. No, that was what did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is he a huge caniac, He's a huge and he became Nino one. Niederreiter fan. He became one from beyond the grave. Harry Melville said, "Give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me Nino Niederreiter." Yeah, people don't remember that from Moby Dick. People do not remember that line. But that is a line that was said actually by Moby Dick, by the whale in Moby Dick. Uh, it was an anthropomorphic <laughs> whale that said, give me fuel, give me fire, give me Nino Niederreiter. Where were we? How good are the Hurricanes? Okay. So they've played 19 <laughs> good games. As, uh, they're so good that Moby Dick is out there calling for Nino Niederreiter. Huge caniac. How good are the Hurricanes? Okay. So they're they're 19 games in. They're 12, six and one. They're coming off this set against the Lightning uh, for the for the season. They're two and three against the Bolts, and that's where half of their losses have come so far. Where, where how good are they? Are they, are are they as good as you believe them to be last week, or are they not as good in your eyes, Ryan? It's like I think they're a very good team. I think they're a little disjointed right now. I think it's the best way to put it. I think missing Tavo Teravainen, who got injured in the Chicago game, 
a big hit by Nikita Zadorov. Tabo's concussion now. He didn't travel on the road trip, so it'll be at least another three games before we see him, at least. Um, I think he's. I think Sebastian Ajo is really missing Tavo Teravainen right now. But um, I feel like the team's very good, just a little disjointed right now. The defense is just doesn't seem like the Carolina Hurricane defense we know and love. Uh, you know, except for Brett Pesci. Brett Pesci is the greatest defenseman on ice currently, arguably. I will argue for him. He's just been absolutely outstanding. But uh, past that, I mean, Dougie Hamilton and Jacob Slavin haven't been bad but they haven't been anywhere near as good as we expect them to be. Uh, I think Jake Gardner's been good, but he's been benched twice now. I think Hayden Fleury's been all right. I don't think he's been anything like too special. And I think Jake Bean has been good in spurts, but he doesn't get enough playing time and he hasn't like really shown in the last few games. I feel like Tampa kind of like gave him a kind of wake up call a little bit. Welcome to the NHL moments where he was playing extremely good hockey. Now he's kind of gone a little little step back but i feel like the defense is just very disjointed it's not at all what i expect from Carolina hurricanes hockey and like i expect them to be able to turn around like to be able to play at a high level right now i feel like it's disjointed but i expect a lot more from them i think the offense is extremely good i think they're just in a little bit of a dry spell right now it's going to happen with goaltending and defense like tampa bays it's you know you can't score five a game every game I think the offense will be fine. I think they're generating chances. I think they look good. I think getting Tavo Teravainen back into the lineup will boost them tremendously, obviously. And I think the goaltending is is kind of a shaky part for me with this team. I feel like we talked about this last week where that's like the one area the Canes should push in at the deadline if they feel like they really need it. I still, like, Nadelchvik and Reimer, almost like two sides of a coin on the soft goals that they allow but then the big goals that they like big saves that they make on like what should be goals. It's like, they're like big save, big save, big save, soft goal backbreaker. It's like the goaltending is just, it's just too inconsistent for me to really be confident. in. I think the Canes are going to be one of the top teams in the league, but I don't know how far they can go unless their goaltending and defense takes huge steps forward. Yeah. Um, I agree. I, they're kind of a mixed bag right now, right? They're, they could have easily won two or three of those four games, they just didn't. And and maybe that's the difference between a team like Carolina and a team like Tampa. They're going to win those games that are really, really close. And, and Carolina's done this to this point too, but they've done it against teams that aren't Tampa. And Tampa's just a different animal. They're, they've been there. They've done that. They've won a cup. They have all the players that you need to, to be successful in the postseason and, and in these kind of like – what was essentially a playoff type of series between the two teams. I, w- I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think a ton has changed for me. I think they've shown that they can play with Tampa other than the three, nothing game. The one thing I will say is I think there's been like Ryan kind of touched on with the defense being disjointed and as good as the offense has been. I think there have definitely been some of these wins this season where the Canes have been able to, you know, it's a cliche, but outscore their mistakes. And I don't think that's a strategy. Obviously, it's not one you can rely on in the postseason. We all know that. And it's not one you can rely on against Tampa. And I think that that's something that they're going to learn going forward from this series. So, I, you know, I don't know that it will. We'll have to see. But I think that this series has the potential, too, to make them better overall going forward because they've seen firsthand what it's going to take against a team like Tampa Bay in this four-game set. And it's also worth noting that this series happened 
pretty early in the season. So, I mean, if, if you're yeah. going to have this thing happen, then this is when you want it to happen. You want to have a good start. Then you want to, if, if you're going to have this kind of stretch, this is a pretty good time for it because I, I feel like this team knows that it can be pretty great. And then they got kind of humbled a little bit by Tampa. And now it's kind of a thing where you go back to the drawing board and you're like, okay, we are, we can play with them. But the way that we played against them in that four game series, we got away with that stuff against, against other teams, but we're not going to get away with that kind of stuff against Tampa Bay. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. I really think that humbling experience is like very necessary, like winning every game or like the, if you win so many games, it's, it's not really the best thing. IE Tampa Bay two years ago when they yeah. set a, like a new for like wins in a season and then they got swept in the first round of the playoffs because they really hadn't faced adversity in a season yet. I think getting this humbling experience, getting this adversity early on, I think is a huge thing for a team in a season. Well, and I think too, it's like like we like I said, you know, they um, they got away a lot with not playing sixty minutes, like in the first Columbus game, and you you know they you almost started to kind of get that sense of like, oh, okay, well, it's okay. You know, they'll come out in one of these periods and they'll have a stretch where they score three goals in 10 minutes and be fine. And I, I wonder if that started to creep in for the team a little bit as well. And that's just that's not going to happen against the team like Tampa Bay. You know, you look at the three nothing loss. Brett, I think you and I both pointed this out during the game, but the Hurricanes played well in the third period of that game, I thought, and had some chances. But when you're going against a team like Tampa Bay and specifically a goalie like Andre Vasilevsky, if you only play well and get your chances in little spurts like they did in that game, he's going to make the saves. I mean, you've got to be on him the whole time if you want to beat him. So I think that's probably something that they've learned and figured out from this set. Like when when the Hurricanes finally got to their game, it was it was in the third period, and that's when they finally started mounting chances. But at that point, it's two to nothing. But against Vasilevsky, that feels like four nothing because there's just you don't have enough time to wear him down and keep throwing shots at him and, and peppering him. Like you don't have enough time for that. Now you, you, you had to start that much earlier in the game. At that point, you're not, you don't have enough time because he's not just going to, he's not going to have these games where he, in the third period is going to let in three goals on 13 shots or something like that's just not going to happen very often with Vasilevsky. And especially when, you know, you've put 13 shots on goal through the first two periods. I mean, he's a guy who stays locked in. He's not going to give up these weak goals that maybe the Hurricanes have been giving up a little bit lately. You know, we can we can kind of segue into this. Obviously, with Mrazek out, the, it, it's forced Nadalkovich into play. It's forced Reimer into more play. What are your concerns now about the goaltending? And I, I don't think in any reasonable reality... Reimer is in any reasonable reality. Reimer is going to be the backup once Morazic gets back. I, I don't think that's very controversial. Uh, Nadalkovich has played well, but I don't think there's any way that he's going to supplant Reimer as as the backup once Morazic gets back. But what are your takeaways from Reimer and Nadalkovich? And I think it's fair to say Nadalkovich has played a little bit better than Reimer. Uh, yeah, I think they've both kind of like Ryan said been prone to that, like. You know, they'll make big saves and then they'll give up a softie. And it's, you know, you, you can't 
they're both letting in goals that are saves an NHL goalie has to make. And I think, too, part of it with Reimer is, like, we've seen him play well in Carolina in a backup role. I don't think he's suited to playing as much as he has, and I think we'll see better from him when Morazic gets back and is, you know, the starter again. The biggest thing for me is going to be, is Morazic when he comes back, is he the guy that we saw for the first? Now, obviously not like two shutouts in four games. Like that's not, but you know, can he play at the level that we saw early in the season, you know, or does he struggle some coming back from injury? Because right now the hurricanes need that number one guy that they can rely on. And I think their only hope that they have that in house is that Morazic comes back and plays that way. It's like, it's been very weird because Reimer gives up, it's seemingly three goals a game. It's just like, it just seems cut and dry that he will give up at least three goals in a game. He's like got so many wins because the Canes are outscoring like this kind of problem. But Reimer gives up about three goals a game on average, which is not great to see from your goaltender. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to score goals in the NHL. Even if Carolina is, been one of the top offensive teams in the league it's still hard to score goals and when you are giving up at least three a game it's you have to score four or more to win and that's that's a difficult task and so it's weird for Reimer because I think it is just too many starts right now I don't think Carolina's defense is playing as well as they have in past seasons to really help him out either and he's not helping them out on the flip side of that either he's giving up soft goals when they keep forwards to like the outside or awkward angles and then but it's also I like Nadeljevic had I think he had two really good games his last two games but he's been inconsistent before that so I don't I think it's like I mean like you you say ride the hot hand but I mean like Nadeljevic hasn't made any case to really take the crease I think he's played well but again it's a, such a small sample size for a rookie netminder that you're not like oh he's got a better two-game sample so let's just go with him in back-to-back scenario. I think, you know, Brennan works fine to just keep switching him back and forth. Um, and But, I mean, you could have made a case that Nadeljevic could have started after his shutout. You know, that just wasn't going to happen, though. Yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. And I don't, like, I don't think that, I don't think Reimer was the reason the Hurricanes lost the game on, what was that, Monday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I will say though too. I mean, it, it does kind of go back to some of the other stuff we've been talking about, about. That I think the Hurricanes had been winning some games because of their offense, in spite of some of the soft goals that the goalies were letting in, and against a team like Tampa, where things are so tight, so close, that's magnified. And I think that that's, you know, going into the playoffs, you you need a guy who can make those saves, and so I think they really are going to have to hope that. Either Morazic can come back and be that guy, or they have enough time with him back to figure out that maybe he's not and go get something. Because right now, this this goaltending that the Hurricanes have been getting is exactly the kind that would sink a team in a playoff series. I was gonna say it's very. It's like I think a lot of fans are kind of frustrated right now because there's a lot of things that this team kind of reminds teams of old, like that cl- they've lost close games that they should win, where they outplay their opponent. And, like, goaltending hasn't been consistent enough for them. I feel like a lot of fans are frustrated because they're seeing those shades of the past, even though this team is far, far from any 
team of the past like life. I think a lot of fans are frustrated because they see these little tiny, tiny reminiscence and it makes them just cringe so hard at remembering some of those past teams. Yeah, then though that last night's loss was a classic peak, like mid to late 2010 Canes loss. Speaking of such, Kirk Muller got fired. <laughs> that was, was just thinking a weird more firing. Bill, more Bill Peters era, but yeah. It's such a weird firing, like firing Claude Julian. Like, I feel like the Canadians yeah. were one of the best five-on-five five teams in the NHL. And then Claude Julian gets fired because Carey Price is playing terribly. Like, it's, yeah. it's such it, a... It didn't make any it's sense. such a head-scratcher. I get that their, their, their power play was terrible. Your, your penalty kill, your special teams weren't good, but... They were great at five on five, you know. It, it, it like you said, it really felt like up. Oh, Carey Price isn't playing well. The problem is Claude Julian, and we're gonna fire him. Oh, and we're also gonna fire Kirk Muller. R.I.P. A Kane's legend. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I just, I want to give Nadalkovich some credit. Back to the goalie conversation. His past two starts have been great. I'd say that his, his game against. His second game against Tampa, the loss, the three nothing loss, was his better of the two games compared to his shutout because he did not have any help for forty minutes, and he made some huge, huge saves to keep them even in the game, even in the conversation of the game. It, it could have been, should have been three nothing, four nothing by the end of the second period, but he kept them in to the point where they had a chance to even act like they could come back in that game, and they had some chances and almost got one, and then who knows what happens. But Nadalkovic was really, really good. I'd say he was better in that game, all things considered, than the shutout. Reimer's a tough one to kind of judge because you know how good he can be in the right role. Uh, everybody knows that he's not a starter. He's not a guy that should start two out of every three games, three out of every four games. He should be a backup in this league. And when he's been a backup, I think he's been pretty good. He's... You know, I, I feel like the biggest compliment you can give to a backup is when they're playing sparsely and you're like, man, maybe he should get more starts. But like in reality, most times that's why they're backups because they're not getting more starts than they're getting and they're really good in the role that they are in. The Hurricanes yeah. experienced this with countless goalies over the years where you're like, oh, here's this really good backup from another team. Surely that, you know, Let's see, he played 20 games. Let's just multiply that by three, and that's how he'll do in 60 games. And that's just not how it works. Like, like it's it's a huge difference when you're playing three times a week compared to once a week. You know, it's just, it's totally different. Reimer has been good as a backup. He was very good as a backup last year. Better statistically than Morazic, but in, in the game split was fairly even. It was in favor of Morazic, but it was fairly even. I think we all knew that Morazic was the starter of that team last year and and Reimer was the backup or at least the 1B. So as good as Nadalkovich was over the last two starts, I, I don't think that he's going to be really pushing. I know people maybe want that to happen for him to push for Reimer's spot. Don't think that's going to happen at all. I don't either. I think another factor is Nadalkovich and Morazic are very similar goalies. And I think the Hurricanes, and personally I do, I like the veteran, more stable guy as your backup. You saw it with McElhaney. You saw it with Reimer last year. I like that a little bit more than having a young, erratic guy like Nedeljkovic going in there because I'm not yeah. as confident in him coming out every four, once every four games to 
play a game. And I'm not as confident in him to have that, you know, only playing once in a while and then coming in and being calm and, and just being in himself for a game. I don't trust Nadelkovich really for that. I do trust Reimer, at least more so, because he's been around the league and he's done it. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much all I have to say about the goalies. And uh, the Hurricanes need Morazic back. Yeah, yeah, there's there's just no way around that. They, right they really need him back. And I kind of feel bad for Morazic now because we're now, he, in, a way, in a lot of ways, he's being viewed upon as like the savior of this team. And not, th- not that they yeah. need a savior. A lot not that of they weight. need a savior, but they need a starter. <laughs> That's be a lot of pressure on him. He's to come gonna back, be, uh, you know, often bad. Often yeah, bad like injury. It's, it's a lot of pressure that there's gonna be for him. He's gonna be coming back. He's gonna be the starter of a team with very high expectations, and he's gonna be expected to, you know, be the starter. And he's in the last year of his contract. This is a big year for him, and he got off to such a good start, and then he got hurt. It will just be very interesting to see how he plays because if the Hurricanes have a quality number one, they have a shot to do something. Uh, let's talk about the blue line configuration of the Hurricanes. So a lot of this in and out stuff with Jake Gardner, Hayden Fleury, Jake Bean. Now that we've seen another week of hockey, what do you guys think is the Hurricanes' best top six on defense? Ryan. Uh, I think your best pair is Brett Pesci and Jake Gardner. Wow. They've played the best hockey. They've played the best hockey on the defense of the team. They've outchanced opponents heavily. Brett Pesci's been the best defenseman on the team. And I feel like Jake Gardner is his optimal partner. Jake Gardner's had a, a great season. He shouldn't have sat twice. He's been arguably one of the Canes' bestest offensive guys on the blue line. Uh, sitting him, I feel like, was a terrible decision twice. He should be playing with Brett Pesci. They're Kane's best defensive pair. I mean, next, like, obviously you want Jacob Slavin and Dougie Hamilton to be your top pair. And, like, I don't think you should bench them or split them up at all. Like, I can't see them continuing to not reach the level of play that they should be reaching. It's it's a very confusing when I look at them why they can't, you know, f- kind of figure it out as much. And I don't think they're as much of a, a, of a liability as that they were a week or two or three ago. But I feel like they're not really up to par with the levels we expect from them. But I still think you keep them. And you get down here, and then it's you have three left. You have Jake Bean, who I think has played really good hockey in spurts, but he's not getting very much playing time. He's getting good spurts. Uh, you have Hayden Fleury, who's also not getting much playing time currently. And you have Brady Shea, who I'm feeling like is getting too much playing time. I mean, it's a hard one to say. I think Brady Shea's been good on the penalty kill. But then I think he's like he gets exposed a lot on like five on five play. He's really bad around his own net, and he's you know he gets he kind it's just I don't know if it's poor decision making or what, but he seems to just kind of get posterized around his own net a lot. Like Palat, he turned it over in his own zone, and then Palat just embarrassed him like on three straight dekes to just then and then shot it off Brady Shea's foot into the net. It's like that one was just hard to watch for him i don't know why he's getting as many minutes as he is in big situations he hasn't he hasn't been the offensive guy we all thought he was going to be for a breakout he hasn't you know he's other than the penalty kill i really haven't seen anything from shea to really wow me i think he's been a third pairing guy and it's 
Uh, is he better than Hayden Flurry on the third pairing? I don't know. I mean, I think Shea's getting too many minutes. I think on a third pairing, would he be more reliable than like Flurry is on a third pairing? I don't know. I think Bean deserves to be on this blue line. I think he deserves to get more minutes. So it's like, I think Bean, and then who do you pair him with, Flurry or Shea at the end? I don't know. Yeah, I, I will say with the whole Brady Shea thing, I know we all talked about last week about Hayden Flurry being the odd man out, but if Rod, with what Rod's talked about, you know, needing to keep guys fresh, needing to keep guys engaged, kind of having to rotate with seven healthy D. Looking at these past few games, and it's been kind of either Flurry or Gardner, especially after the games that he had earlier in the week against Tampa Bay, I don't know. If, if that's the way you're doing it, I don't know why Brady Shea, so far at least, has been exempt from being the odd man out. I think he probably could have benefited from a game off after the first two lightning games and leaving Jake Gardner in. And I will say, I I think Jake Gardner right now is pretty important to this blue line with his, especially with a team that's struggling offensively with his skating and his puck moving, his ability to move the puck up the ice, make plays in the offensive zone and on the power play. I mean, we talked about how the Hurricanes struggled to hold and keep the zone. Jake Gardner has been really good quarterbacking that second power play unit from the point this year. So I think I'd be hesitant to sit Gardner again anytime soon. And I, I think if, you know, if this is the way that you're doing this with rotating guys, I I think that Brady Shea should probably be the next man out. I think there should be three guys exempt from the rotating thing. It should be Jacob Slavin, Dougie Hamilton, Brett Pesci. That's it. Yes. And, Quite frankly, if you're going to make an argument for anyone else to be exempt, it would be Jake Gardner. Yes. Because he has been better than Brady Shea. He's been better than Hayden Fleury. Jake Bean is still early. Jake Bean came down to earth. He got exposed a bit against Tampa. With the line changes going in favor of Tampa on their home ice, uh, they exposed Bean a little bit. That's to be expected. I don't, I don't think anyone was shocked by that. I don't think anyone thought that he was Kale McCarr. All right. That, 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 that was what it was, and he deserves to be in and out of the lineup a little bit. I do believe he should be playing more than he's sitting, though. I, I think he's very good with the puck. He has a lot of defensive stuff to figure out, but at the same time, I don't know how he's going to figure it out if he's not playing, right? So I, I think that plays into it as well. I'm a little confused as to why Brady Shea is the exempt guy from, from being scratched. I, I get it. They traded a first-round pick for him a year ago, and maybe it's still the honeymoon phase, but I really thought in that three, nothing game, that loss, he was their least played defenseman. He, he only got like 16 minutes, his, which was like a minute and a half less than his previous low with the hurricanes. I was like, okay. And, and Pesci and Shea in that game were terrible. They got cratered in the first two periods. They were the, probably the worst yep. D pairing. And that's worth, and also Jake Bean and Jake Garner was a T Perry. <laughs> and that was a disaster. That was the unmitigated disaster that it had all of the potential to be. Yeah. And, and then they, they switched it at the end of the period. They went with Shea Bean and then Gardner Pesci. And, and then it was better. You know, you're going into the next night. You're like, okay, clearly, you know, they're, they're going to keep Gardner Pesci together. It's been, for the most part, their best defensive pairing all year. They were terrible last night. The, the night before, 
before they switched it around and put them back together. Clearly, they're gonna they're gonna keep that together and they're gonna go with Shea Bean or Shea Flurry or something. Nope, they they went back to Shea Pesci, and and they were better the next night. But you're seeing a lot of the issues that Brady Shea has in his game. Sometimes you're watching him and he's he's making decisions and you're like, uh. It's just it's that kind of stuff, and that's going to happen with every defenseman. But like him creating that, he created that too many men penalty. Oh yeah, that was a, a ten thousand IQ play, right? Like four guys. Yeah, I was like, that was if, if that penalty if that doesn't end up in a too many men penalty, that could have ended extremely poorly. Trying to lace a stretch pass through four Tampa like, players. I was like, okay, that looked really bad when I first saw it, and I was like, all right, I'm going to watch the replay first, and I'm going to see what really happened there. And I was like. Maybe he had the 10 million IQ play of throwing it at the bench. I'm watching the replay. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So no, that's not what happened. He he tried to hit a stretch pass. It was as bad as you thought. He it tried was. to hit a stretch pass through 15 players, literally 15 players. But it was not a purposeful. Let's get the let's get the too many men penalty because in that case you would throw it towards the bench, and he did not throw it towards the bench. <laughs> he threw it right up the middle of the ice. But yeah. It, and I don't want to pile on Brady Shea, but I mean, I I don't think he should be exempt from this whole rotating thing of defensemen because I don't think he's deserved to be in the category. He doesn't have the tenure in the last season success of a Slavin and Hamilton, and he doesn't have the level of play that Brett Pesci has. He doesn't even have the level of play that Jake Gardner has at five on five. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that he would be exempt from that. Well, and he's the kind of player, too, with the way he plays and, you know, kind of some risk in his game and prone to mistakes that after a bad game, he's the kind of guy that I think can benefit from spending a night off and watching and, you know, resetting a little bit. The other thing I do, I do want to say about the blue line, I, I think especially, you know, if Jake Gardner's in the lineup, I think, like I just said, that that Gardner-Bean pairing was a bad idea in on paper and it played out poorly. Um, when you're trying to balance your pairings with guys who complement each other, that is not what Jake Bean and Jake Gardner are. I think, like we just, like we, I don't think we need to harp anymore on how good the Gardner Pesci pairing has been. I think your ideal configuration in terms of pairings is Jacob Slavin and Dougie Hamilton, because yet while those two have not been great, I think they will figure it out, and I think that they will will get to playing well together. Gardner Pesci, because that has been your best defensive pairing. And I think that when you look at the specific strengths that those two players have, they complement each other extremely well. And then your third pairing is, depending on who's in and out, some combination of Brady Shea, Hayden Fleury, and Jake Bean. I think that is my ideal configuration for these pairings right now. I agree. So the original question was, what is the ideal configuration? I would say Slavin Hamilton. You ride that till the season's over. I, they may never get it together. They might not, but you ride that until it's over. I think you ride it, or at least ride it until Gardner and Pesci stops being as good as it's been. Sure, because they've shown glimpses. And, and to Hamilton's credit, last night he, I saw people saying Hamilton had a bad game last night. I disagree wholeheartedly. He, he might have been their best defenseman. He was great last night. Then he hit the he hit the crossbar on a power he did. play. He didn't also he? hit the crossbar on a power play. But even at five on five, I thought he was probably their best defenseman last night. I think I thought he was really good, yeah. and I, I didn't get why people said he had a bad game. If he doesn't score, he's bad. Oh Brad. yes, that's right. I'm sorry. Hmm. 
And I thought I thought in the three nothing game, I thought um, some of the plays he made, I thought Jacob Slavin was yes, one of the Hurricanes' better players in the offensive zone. So yeah, like, you're seeing the glimpses from these guys, and you're hoping you know you're still 19 games into the season. Uh, you're not at that halfway point. You're you're a couple weeks away from that halfway point. Ride ride those guys. Uh, well, ride with those guys. Um, <clears throat> go with those guys as the top pairing is what you should do. And then after that, after after the first pairing, you go to the second pairing. And it's Gardner Pesci, I think. Uh, I think we all agree on that. That's great. Third pairing. I'm going to give Shea the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna, I say Shea can – if you look at his numbers, he is painfully league average at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, you can play him there. You can rotate Flurry and Bean. That's great depending on who you're playing. I think that's totally reasonable. You know, Shea, he's been good on the penalty kill. I've liked him on the penalty kill, like Ryan, you said. So you keep him in for the penalty kill. You, I think he's played well with both Flurry and Bean in the past. You kind of you go with that. You see how it works. I think that's totally fine. But, yeah, I, I have a feeling that they're going to keep trying to force this Shea-Pesci thing. And to me, it just doesn't look like that's, that's going to happen. I, I don't think. Like, it's one thing to ride out to go with Slavin Hamilton as the first pairing because you know that that can be great. It's another thing to f- keep trying to force this Shea Pesci thing when it's not going to work. And to this point, it hasn't really worked. At least not compared to Gardner Pesci. Yeah, I think I think Gardner. I think you know we all looked at Shea Pesci on pairing as something that had really good potential, and I think I think Gardner Pesci has been everything that we thought and hoped that Shea Pesci could be, or even everything we thought Gardner Pesci would be last year when Gardner first got here. Yeah, I means it's a year late. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think they're starting to get it, and, and maybe maybe Shea has a darling or sweetheart of a second half or whatever, and he he comes around and everything's wonderful. The one th- the one more thing I will say in Brady Shea's defense is, you know, he played stretch run last year. He hasn't been here that long, and we have seen both with Dougie Hamilton and with Jake Gardner. It sure. can take a minute for a defenseman to adjust and get to playing well in the hurricane system. Yeah. In Gardner's case, he was not allowed really like at the, by the end of the year, he was averaging like 12 to 15 minutes a night. Like yeah. he wasn't really allowed that opportunity to play through it. In a lot of cases, it felt like it was pretty quick that he was in the doghouse and it was over. Um, and then cause Edmondson was with Bessie and, that's how that one went for most of the year, you know. So it is so it'd be interesting to see if Shea continues to get twenty plus minutes of ice time a night uh, on a nightly basis. So I, I think we're all rooting for for that to eventually work because the Hurricanes certainly need to work because they gave up a first round pick for him and he has a long contract and a lot of people weren't very sure of that trade. It seemed like a very uncharacteristic trade for the Hurricanes to make at the time, but they made it and they needed to work. Yeah, that was a yeah, gamble. And that, that might be another reason why they're kind of trying to force this thing because they kind of need this to work. They they can't really afford for this to be a flop of a trade and Shea just doesn't work. He's been an average defenseman. They need to be more than that. Uh, let's move on to the Chicago Wolves. Ryan, tell us about our friends in the AHL and how they're the best team in the history of all hockey. I mean, they're undefeated. They're the only undefeated team still left in the AHL. And Bert. 
Ben Moore made a good point about this. Somebody had asked him after a practice on like have he's on the Chicago West. He's like, you know, Ben Moore wishes he could have more kind of like be in touch with him. He hasn't been as in touch with them as he's been in previous seasons with the minor league team because, you know, he's got the taxi squad. He's got his immediate call ups already. But he made the point that, you know, the Chicago West should be a good team. They have the Canes top prospect and Nashville's top prospects because Nashville's uh, farm team, Milwaukee Admirals, aren't, aren't playing this season. So they're sharing the Chicago Wolves. So you have both, you have two teams' top players all packing in there. And the Chicago Wolves are just an offensive dynamo. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seth Jarvis looks like, you know, Sidney Crosby, the best player on ice there in Chicago. I mean, he's got nine points in seven games, he's six goals. He just keeps scoring. Seth Jarvis cannot be stopped. It's insane how good he was. They sent Morgan Geeky down to Chicago just for like a little short stint because they wanted him to get some games. In two games, Morgan Geeky puts in four goals, five points, and gets in a fight with Cody McLeod. I mean, what more can you be like, don't send me down again, can you say, than that? Like, you know, First period Gordy Howe hat trick in yeah. his first game back in the AHL. Uh, David Cotton's got five points in four games. I mean, Joey Keane's got seven assists in seven games. Ryan Suzuki's got two goals, four points in seven games. Jameson Reese scored three points in six games. I mean, like a lot of your Kane's top prospects that you've been looking at and like the guys you're looking for in like Chicago, like to take this opportunity you know, because they typically be in the OHL or whatnot, or the WHL for Jarvis, and the CHL, I guess we'll just say overarching. They're they're just running with it. The Chicago Wolves team is just insane. They had what was it, a ten goal game? Yeah, they won it. They won a like, game ten to two. Like, jeez, the Chicago Wolves team is just crazy nasty. If you're like not tuned in with them, you should. This is this is a really fun team to watch, and it, it's. It might not last much longer because it's was it March the CHL is returning like March 18th the WHL or something there? returns. I think Portland starts their camp like the second week of March. I think. Yeah. So Jarvis will no longer be on the team because due to CHL and NHL agreements, whatnot. You know, they the players until they're twenty have to play in the CHL or the NHL. No other minor leagues like the AHL. Yeah, so yeah. those those players. There's like Suzuki and or I think Suzuki I think 20? Suzuki has to go back too. Suzuki, uh, Jameson Reese, Seth Jarvis will all have to go back to their CHL teams. But from what now, they look like they belong here, and it's, it's just crazy fun to watch. It's going to be fairly interesting in another year or two for the Carolina Hurricanes, seeing all these young, blossoming prospects potentially fighting for roster spots. Yeah. Is do you think that these guys going to the AHL immediately when they're technically not supposed to be there and playing the way they have is a pretty good argument that, you know, I obviously I get why it's in place from the CHL's perspective, but that the NHL CHL transfer agreement is probably not in the best interest of the development of some of these players. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's only about the CHL, you know, being able to make profit, having and, like, players sell tickets for these like high level players, yeah, like yeah. yeah, and like obviously you're gonna have like Connor McDavid's that just age out and you're like instantly in the NHL, but still like they like to have these really good looking prospects there so they can like profit off them. But in terms of their development and for the NHL, I think it's a, a waste. I I wonder if there's a happy medium to be found there in terms of maybe an exemption or two per team that you can bring like one or two prospects per NHL organization to the AHL before they're 
technically eligible. Oh, I'm thinking like maybe like European contracts. There's clauses where you can like buy out contracts. You know, the team could pay to like bring them back over to North America out of their European contracts or whatnot. Yeah, I think the SHL does yeah. that. Yeah, so something similar with the CHL. Jarvis belongs. I think you can make an argument that. Suzuki belongs. Uh, Philip Tomasino, also, I believe, a 2019 pick from Nashville. He might have been 2018. Do you know? He was. He is 19, 19. and he was drafted in the 2019 okay. draft. So, yeah. yeah, so he was 19 as well. So they're going to be lo- Chicago's going to be losing Suzuki, Jarvis, Tomasino, Reese, and that's that'll be a pretty big loss for them. And you know that will open the door eventually for guys like Dominic Bach and David Cotton to get more ice time. And it'll be interesting to see how all that works out because the Hurricanes will still have some interesting prospects down there after those guys are going back to the CHL leagues. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. Before we get out of here, it's a pretty big site news this week. Uh, a, a pretty important announcement that, that was made earlier in the week. And it is directly involving one of our dear friends here on the podcast, Andrew. The floor is yours, my friend. Yes, um, Brian LeBlanc, the longtime site manager of Canes Country, is he will still be around. He will still be um, doing some game coverage, doing some stories, but he is stepping away as site manager. He is taking a job in the admissions office at, um, and I apologize because I can't remember the name of it, at his daughter's school. Um, and he has turned the keys to Canes Country over to me. It's I, I could talk for hours about Brian and what, and I and I'm sure you guys could too about what his guidance and his friendship and the opportunities he's made, he's given me over the years has meant to my career. And I would not be the sports journalist that I am today without him. It's funny. I um, when I first started covering the Hurricanes, I covered them for technician in the student newspaper at my very first game i well every game i did for technician i our our seat was next to kane's country but my very first game i sat next to brian and i would have been utterly hopelessly completely lost without him answering my questions and showing me the ropes that night we kind of got to be good friends over the years sitting together and doing that we even um traveled to some games together like the 20 the first round games against Washington my senior year he offered me a position at Kane's country so I did that as well I left for pretty much most of last season when I was working in the mountains got laid off due to COVID and I um I came back you know Brian said I could help out I wrote a story and he actually then suggested a solution for both of us that um you know because he needed to take the time off at the time to homeschool his daughter and I had I was out of work with nothing to do for me to be interim editor, and it was something I ended up loving doing. And now you know with this, it's um, that's going to be a permanent change. And but you know again, I can't thank Brian enough for trusting me with this, for his help, for his friendship, and I am honored to carry on in his shoes. And I hope to do the best I can to coordinate our great team here with Brett and Ryan and Katie and Alec and Cody and Zeke and Sarah and everyone else to bring you guys the best, um, Kane's coverage that we have. But, uh, but yeah, but 
Brian is not disappearing. You guys will still see him on the site. He will still be doing some game coverage. It was kind of funny. Um, in the comments of the farewell story, he wrote, somebody said, well, does this mean, because he used the picture of Justin Williams with it. Somebody said, well, does this mean you're just transitioning to being the uh, special advisor to Andrew? And we were both like, you know, there's there's probably uh, a little bit more truth to that than you realize. But yeah, I am a uh, I'm super excited about my opportunity, and but again, I, I can't thank Brian enough for everything that he's done for me. Andrew, you are you are the top dog. You you what are your what are your first commands as the official official top dog? First command is that we must find a way to praise Jake Gardner in every piece of content we we produce. <laughs> Over the past two weeks, I feel like. Um, I feel like I I haven't even been the one pushing the Gardner topics. It's been y'all. No, you really haven't. Well, here's the thing. Like, and first of all, I don't think you were ever barking up the wrong tree with the Gardner stuff. But like, he's objectively playing well this season. Mm -hmm. Like, but yeah, but getting off of that, yes, I I am very excited about this about working with you guys, everybody else, and I think. there's a lot of cool stuff and fun directions that we can take the coverage. Thank you for listening this week. Uh, we talked for a very long time and uh, we appreciate you hanging out. Uh, my name is Brett Finger. Of course, I'm joined by Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Henkel, like every week. Uh, Andrew, where can the people follow you on Twitter and only Twitter? At A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. And Ryan. At R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can follow me at Brett Finger on Twitter. You can follow Canes Country at Canes Country on Twitter. Canes Country Picks, P-I-X, on Instagram. Uh, KD, of course, does really good work there. Please follow and subscribe to the Canes Country Podcast on all of your podcasting, uh, your preferred podcasting apps. Uh, We are everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. Leave a rating. Uh, That all helps us out uh, very, very much, and, and we would appreciate that greatly. We will be back next week to talk about the continuation of the Hurricanes road trip. We will talk to you next week. Be well, enjoy the hockey, and uh, goodbye.